0: Welcome to episode 46 of the Mad, Bad and Damn right Strange Showcase, continuing our trek for the 1001 film Introduction to Cult and Obscure Cinema, which is the Mad, Bad and Damn right Strange list. As always, I'm your host, Edward Jones, from the Depth of Dvd Hell and Channel Superhero. and tonight's episode sees us hitting the road in a pair of unique road trips as we first ride through the sights and sounds of New York in search of the mythical Where's Fluffy in Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. We also hitch a ride in a yellow camper bus with one of cinema's most dysfunctional families in Little Miss Sunshine. But my co-host this evening is not only a writer for both her own blog Tranquil Dreams and ThatMomentIn.com, but also someone who, since her first appearance on the show, I've gone on to have the distinct pleasure of running and founding the Game Warp podcast with. It, of course, gives me the utmost pleasure to welcome back to the show Miss Kim Lowe.
1: Hey, I am invading your movie podcast again. <laughs> <laughs> you have.
0: You've, it's not enough to sort of hang out and talk about retro video games and whatnot on Game Warp that you decided to come and jump ship and hijack this podcast as well. So it's soon going to be, <laughs> soon it's going to be old Kim all the time, just all the shows are just going to be just Kim, uh, Kim's joyful presence on them, which, you know, I think may be enough for some listeners, but... Welcome back to the show, Kim.
1: Thank you, thank you. I'm, I'm happy to be back.
0: That's a good to hear. Um, Obviously, since the last time you are on, we've gone on to found a gaming podcast uh, called Game Warp, which you can find both at thatmomentin.com as well as YouTube. How are you finding it uh, now being in the field of uh, talking about video games?
1: Well, seeing as now the main podcast I do is video games, it's <laughs> Much easier to talk video games as it, than it is to talk about movies. I find,
0: okay.
1: like, I don't know. I ever since I think a lot has changed for me. Um, not only talking about video games, to even the setup of my blog and the direction is changing. I've talked about it off air with you um, about that the idea that Tranquil Dreams is just slowly lowering the movies and now I'm kind of expanding more into kind of lifestyle where I'm kind of going back to my roots in a sense but um I'm really like I'm really enjoying this I think I got a little burnt out from like I still love movies it's not gonna change I watch movies all the time and um I always like and I binge TV now so I cover TV series now also Um, but like, you know, the versatility on my site never changes. It's just that, you know, I feel like I need a little bit more balance with some of the lifestyle things because those take over more of my life now than having time to sit down and watch a movie because sometimes I just want to sit down and play a video game.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Obviously, do you find that having variety with what you're writing about sort of helps to avoid that sort of inevitable burnout that you find if you just stick with one particular subject?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, um... There was one year that I did that, and I, I really, really hated it. Like, I, I really hated it. I almost quit blogging because I was just like, it, it's too much. It's like, you can talk about movies all day, all day, all day. I can talk with my friends all every single time I meet them about movies. But when I have to do it, like, writing it out every single day. Like, I love writing, but sometimes, you know, it's it's hard to just be like, your life is watching a movie and then... Because I post so frequently, I post like every single day of the week, or like five days out of seven. Yeah, it's like five movie reviews in a week, and that's like. There are some amazing bloggers that can do that. You know, one of them is like, um, is Movie Rob, who is like I don't know if you know him, but MovieRob.wordpress.com is his site, and he is like an amazing person. He's been on the blogosphere so many years less than I have, and. He's already at like I don't know like double of what I've reviewed, like he can review like four movies a day and i I'm just I applaud him, he's amazing, like I worship in him how amazing like that how much he loves movies and how much he can watch and review, and like I can never do that, and I wish I could, but I can't you know it's
0: yeah, I think it's you have to wonder how someone can keep up the pace of reviewing every single day. I mean, obviously there are sites that, as you said, mentioned a like movie Rob, um, horror movie a day, which I think that ran for around eight years, reviewing horror movies every single day. Um, and I do, do wonder how these writers can avoid that sort of mental burnout. I mean, it's for myself. I manage about six reviews a month, maybe on the site, on the site. And it's, you know, it's nice. It wants around and it slippers and it, does what I want it to do Um, and obviously by having those other things I write about it helps relieve some of that tedium there so I can understand why you would obviously want to explore new areas especially if you there's certain times you just want to watch a movie for yourself you don't feel that you want to share it which obviously when we've come to writing it's this sort of feeling that okay I didn't particularly enjoy that now I've got to sort of relive it by writing about it and unless... (laughs) you can sort of find that sort of bile and spite to really sort of stab it and break it off in a particular film. It can be particularly rough to uh, try and muster the enthusiasm. Okay, and on to the first of our film selections for this evening. We're going to start with Nick and Noah's Infinite Playlist. This is from 2008, directed by Peter Sollett. Uh, for those not familiar with the film, it follows Nick, played by Michael Serra, who's the sole straight member of the queer core band The Jerkoffs, who... Uh, as we meet him at the start of the film, he's still pining for his ex-girlfriend, Trish. Um, and he finds himself thrown together with his fellow indie music fan, Nora, uh, here played by Kat Dennings, as they embark on a quest to find a secret gig somewhere in New York City, being held by their favourite band, Where's Fluffy? Uh, this is kind of really, since High Fidelity, the first sort of movie for sort of music lovers that I'd seen in a long time. And it really sort of taps into that sort of indie music scene sort of vibe and i know that it was one that those films that all the sort of cool kids really sort of latched onto, and then kind of made fun of me for not watching it sooner so i was lucky enough to actually catch this i think in the right sort of age um to obviously appreciate this because i feel this is one of those movies like the breakfast club or ghost world where you have to really sort of catch it at the right age to appreciate it otherwise you kind of find it very hard to associate with these characters, but Kim. I mean, obviously, what's your sort of opening thoughts on the Nakano's Infinite Playlist?
1: Well, I really, really love it, and it's not really—it's um, not really about the music for me. I, I feel that like I latched onto this because I genuinely like. I thought that the characters, like all the characters. Were done so well. Like the cast is just amazing. I I really really like the cast that they have. Like Michael Sarah is no doubt perfectly in this fits perfectly in this sort of role. Yeah. I mean he's done countless roles where he's like this, and I mean Kat Dennings is amazing. I wish she was in more movies all the time. Um, I mean even like all the the guys playing like queer friends and stuff. They they were like. They're super fun to watch and, and like, just there's really silly kind of stupid things that they do. So, I mean, and and I don't remember the, uh, who is it? Uh, Is it Ari, Ari Grainer who plays the best friend, Caroline?
0: Yeah, Ari Grainer.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought, like, her role, like, it's just, you know, it's so, it it seems like everything is so over the top, but yet it's still so believable in a certain way. Like, I've never been this obsessed with, and I don't think, like, Montreal does things like this where, or maybe it does, but I don't know, where, like, you know, you're on a hunt for a band or something like this. So this seems like, like a really new adventure that you're kind of embarking on with them in a night where so many things fall apart but at the same time in the center of it all it's really like about nick and nora also and just like them getting to know each other through all of these crazy things that's that's kind of gone wrong
0: yeah i think definitely the setting is key to this film's their sort of success really because obviously it's set in new york and there's very few cities where you could tell this sort of story where you have all these interesting characters and you have these interesting locations. Uh, most cities would have like one or two clubs, which would probably wouldn't be that much of an exciting road trip. It's either going to be the band's going to be one or two places, but obviously with like somewhere like New York or Portland, or if we were to talk about these rain, so shores, somewhere like Birmingham or London, you could obviously set this, this sort of film and have that sort of journey across town. And it's, it's interesting to obviously see the places that they visit, while they're all essentially indie clubs they are all so different from each other. And even when we are like looking at places outside it, even like places such as like delis or the 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 bus station, they all have this sort of like fantastical edge to them. Uh, this is like some sort of fantasy city that can't possibly exist in real life. And even though you know why you're watching it that you could go to New York and you can obviously go on this like, little road trip and uh, follow Nick and Nora's journey across the city. So if you buy the book, it has a map of uh, New York City and it charts the locations uh, that they go to. So you kind of, uh, if you had time and money to go off and uh, have your own Nick and Nora trip, um, I don't know, maybe that'd be like a really interesting first date or something if you've got an open-minded girl, girl or oh boy, that you're taking out somewhere. As you mentioned, earlier, this is, Less about the music, even though it is constantly there, but about this connection between these two characters. Because from the start, we've got Nick who's like obsessively making these like mixtapes to try and get back with his ex girlfriend, who has no interest at all, and she's basically dumping these tapes, which Nora's picking up, not knowing who Nick is. So all she knows about this guy is his his taste in music, and they have this connection already through music, even though they've never met each other. Uh, which I found was like really interesting, and the fact that they happened to bump into each other. It, it just to a little too perfect, but uh, yeah, it, I actually think, as you said already, this is Michael Cera once again playing the indie rock kid. Uh, this is obviously the New York set. I, I guess this could be the New York set version of uh, his role in Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, which would obviously be your Montreal version.
1: <laughs> no, that was Toronto. Um, oh, I'm but... sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I mean, like, I think that I can believe in a musical connection, just maybe it's because the romantic in me, like, believes these things, and it's easily, like, led into just buying into something like this, but I think that it surpasses the music, just because like yeah, they have similar things and they always bring it up, especially when they're, there's random tracks that go on. And the music is always kind of in the background, but always like, I I liked a lot of the soundtrack that was going on in the background. Um, It's just, like it, the connection between Nick and Nora is, although you've never seen it before, the way you kind of like even get who they are and how they kind of are, I guess opposites, but not but kind of like meshes really well in that opposite yeah. where like Nora is more like you know she's more forward she's more like you know she's she's still really clueless about many things like especially like unclean relationships like um like with the the guy there um forgot his name Ty like a lot of them are be they're both kind of in a similar situation where, they're being used in a certain way, but through this situation and through meeting each other, they kind of broke out of that, I feel. Like, they found courage in each other to kind of, you know, break out of, say, like, being the chaperone all the time for Nora and, like, Nick being, like, that person, the voice of reason in his stupid group of friends who who makes up, like, ridiculous names for the bands and keep wanting to change it. And it's these little moments that really, like, I guess, solidify the connection they have. And it's really great because the audience sees it before they even see it, you know? And you, I guess you have a good point before where, like, just the fact that at a certain age, watching this and catching it at that age, is very important because we've gone through certain things. Like, most of us would have gone through, like, some sort of relationships. And we can see what's going to happen, you know? We can see... When the characters are oblivious to being used or being, um, but like you can foresee, say Caroline is going to get drunk even though she says she's not or, you know, like um, that Triss is messing with Nick, but he's still hung up on her and you think that he should be with Nora from the start and it just kind of builds up to whatever it's building up to. And all these things you already kind of foresee as the audience because you. You know better i guess you know at, at, at like a certain age you already know what's going to happen but you kind of get charmed into liking the characters still no matter what silly decisions they end up making you know
0: yeah it's almost as though with these characters that they're in this this mindset that they can't possibly survive without this person who's obviously so unhealthy for them obviously we've with Nick he's got his obviously his ex-girlfriend you mentioned a Nora's got Ty who's essentially using her because of her record producer father uh he's trying to u- find a way to get his band launched and these are like very unhealthy relationships it's like trying to cure heroin addiction by taking more heroin and you just <laughs> know that if they could just look outside of their their own little bubbles and just see that see what they could obviously that they could grow with each other and obviously and the fact that there's so many things there right from the start and they just lay it on kind of heavy which I know must be kind of off point for some but the fact that they happen to have all these instant connections and the fact that you've got Nora lights in or you're like my musical soulmate uh, it's very clear right from the start where this is going to end up it's just obviously the journey to get there which is kind of the most exciting part and the fact that these characters you're going to encounter the the scene where they think they find the venue for the uh worst fluffy concert but it's just some old horrible like white rapper guy that only one person likes um
1: (laughs) And, and actually that part i don't know if you made the connection but he was one of the guys that caroline was flirting with at the bar where she got drunk in the first location
0: no i didn't
1: yeah actually because that guy was like so awkwardly dressed (laughs) Like, so over the top that I actually, I never made that connection until I rewatched it for this recording. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that's the same guy. (laughs) So, yeah, it's, it's like these little things that happen in the movie where there's a lot of detail to look at. And I really think that there's a really nice message here, whether it's about growing as a person or finding yourself. I think that, like, Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist carries this really nice, I don't know if it's a it's not really, I don't know if it's really coming of age, but I guess it's just being like, just growing up in a way where they're going to be ready to take on the challenges now of college, because even at that point, they're not really certain about what they want to do.
0: If this film had just been about these two people finding each other um, and hadn't been about them eventually ending up in this relationship with each other, would it still have been a satisfying film to yourself? Does it, 'Cause I kind of in one way I would have liked to have seen just this idea of these two people finding each other. And that that's what the film's about. It's not about them getting to getting together or that really clumsy scene in the recording studio at the end. This this idea of these two people like coming together and realizing that they don't need these people that they've sort of like latched onto and that they should perhaps trust in what their friends are seeing, especially Nick's bandmates, who right from the start they're but is he giving like Nora a makeover to try and make her more appealing? Which also made me wonder why have they got so many women's clothes in that van, and where did they all come from? Because neither of them are like drag queens or. or trans- I think they do. Stuff. I think
1: they. I think. I think the implication is that they do it on the side. Like they're kind. They kind of do a little dress ups and stuff on the side because <laughs> they refer it right away. Like like um, Dev or something. I think it was Dev. Uh, like like played by Rafi Gavron. Okay. And he, I think he was saying that, hey, that's Dev's clothes type of thing or something. And and it was like, how, he has the exact same bra. And you're just kind of like, well, I've, I'm guessing the implication is that if they have a box of this stuff. <laughs> they kind of have a fascination with it. And I guess it also opens up the idea that there's so many other sorts of people in the world. That they're, like, this movie is like a different open-mindedness that they have
0: it really drives home the fact that these people are being, both Nick and Nora being used by their respective partners, especially when Trish sees Nick with Nora and suddenly, like, launches into this charm offensive and it's sort of, like... I think it would help if the actress playing Trish um, was actually, I don't know, perhaps a little better because there's so many scenes where she seems to be trying to do things and it's sort of, like... You can kind of see it in her face, it's sort of, like her saying is this sexy i i don't know like when she's sitting on the car and she's like trying to seduce him or the scene where they have the flashback when he buys her the uh the dress she shows up in and it's sort of like i don't don't know was he supposed to be this intentionally like this unclumsy sexiness or did was the actress like convinced that she was being a lot sexier than she actually wasn't obviously being
1: but you know i think that I mean, um, before we go back to the question you asked me, which I didn't answer, I think the, the definition of beauty is different for everybody, right? She's, she thinks she's being seductive, and she, you know, she, a lot of times what pretty girls or pretty girls you think they're pretty who get a lot of the guys or get a lot of attention, I feel has that sort of appearance in movies where they're really confident, and that's what makes them pretty. Yeah. If they don't naturally like we're not going to say like I'm not going to say this girl is pretty and you might not feel that this girl is pretty at the same time, you know. You know, beauty is to the eye of the beholder. So I think that what while we don't see Tris as being very um attractive, especially because we know her character and we can already kind of see the ugliness in just her inside like her inner personality. Yeah. That we don't we already have this prejudice towards her, where she's not going to be pretty. She's just going to look, I don't know, bitchy. Yeah. You know.
0: Well, I don't know. I can. I mean, it really sort of drives the the no home when she uh, is doing that uh, impromptu seductive dance to uh, Hot Chocolate's use sexy fingers. So, like, no, that's 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 not how you win people back. Of all the songs she could have chose, <laughs> yeah, you ain't. That isn't the one to go with.
1: Yeah, but I, I think that. I think it also emphasizes on like her character as being someone who who believes in like these sort of manipulative acts to get the person they want and get the way and get her way. You know, it's an emphasis of her character of how while Nick and Nora have grown, Nick is finally seeing this for the first time that, you know, Tris is actually a really bad person. And he, he doesn't care about what she's doing anymore. She's not. He's kind of like breaking free from her at that point.
0: Yeah, it's a good bad thing you mentioned earlier. Obviously, with Kat Denning, we're, from her role in like Two Broke Girls and her role in the, in the four films, we're kind of used to her being this sort of loud and abrasive and often foul-mouthed character. And Nora's really the quite kind of opposite. She's very shy and kind of retiring, but at the same time, she knows when to be forceful um i, th- I think as we mentioned like when we were talking about doing this recording and stuff it's like well the best she has one of the best lines in the uh in the film when she's trying to get um get her friend out, um I caroline caroline out of the uh out of the car and she's like open the door bitch
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's just you know you see like all these helpless guys standing around the car that's like she's just rolling around yelling inside she doesn't she's just like shh, shh, you know and then <laughs> you know and then all of a sudden everything is so quiet and then all of a sudden you see cat Dennings and you know that she's gonna do it the moment that she sees the crowd that yeah. this is like an uh, this is like a typical occurrence so she just storms up to it and then she doesn't knock on the window she doesn't do anything she just yells at her
0: <laughs> oh, that whole scene though and we've got nick's bandmates and you would think that they never seen a person before they're like when you go into like the safari park and the chimps are like jumping on your car they're, 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 they're like gingerly tapping at the window it's like what part of this plan did you think was actually going to work <laughs> uh i think there's a there's a scene where because obviously one of the big parts of the film other than this search for Where's Fluffy is obviously the search for Caroline who yeah. goes wanderabout, and we get to visit all her favourite places to throw up because <laughs> she's that kind of girl um, and one of the places that uh, we end up going to is like a a gay Christmas pageant being held in like June in, in a church and the song that they're singing I so wish that someone will put the clip on YouTube just so I can like rip it for uh alternate Christmas because it's just such a fun random number but it's not obviously Christmassy enough to make it an old Christmas movie but yeah I think this I think it's one of my highlights when they go into that alternate rendition of the uh, 12 days of Christmas
1: <laughs> so much of Caroline's parts are above being disgusting so like there's like this fun element to it yeah uh, but it's just so disgusting. Like, I had to turn away a few times. Um, I, I mean, a, and on top of that, like, oh, ugh, just thinking about it, just her gum getting traveled through one mouth to the next. And
0: <laughs> it's...
1: <laughs> I just don't know, like, the connection. Is that, like, an emphasis on the connection of people and, the la- like, the barriers that people don't have or what? Like, Ugh. <laughs>
0: Oh, I mean, there's that scene where she's making out with the guy in the bar mm-hmm. and uh, he's chewing her gum. I was like, oh my God. I'm like too old and too conservative to be watching that. <laughs> I wish I mean, but, that, might be, uh, that might be like someone show to some of the listeners here, considering some of the like stuff we've covered previously on this show, that someone swapping gum would be like the thing which would like, completely skeeve me out. But uh, yeah, that... No, but all... I
1: mean, the fact that the gum like literally fell into the dire like the not the the vomit toilet bowl ah. and then she picked it out and then like after that it ended up in like you know the final person who has it was nick <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> the uh, and and i feel so sorry for the uh the guy in the korean market whose freezer <laughs> she's thrown up in it's, it's <laughs> sort of like it's sort of like how shitty and nice are you having when some Random white girl shows up and throws up in your freezer. <laughs> you just know that it's not going to be your night when that happens.
1: <laughs> oh man, there's so many good parts, and you know, I, I wanted, to, you know, I, I wanted to go back to the, what you had asked me, and I never answered. Um, you were saying about because I I don't really like you're saying that if you would have liked to see a movie where Nick and Nora would have found each other but I, not gotten together. Is that what you mean?
0: Yeah. I mean, like they
1: found I, themselves through each other, but they didn't get together.
0: I think it's not so much the fact that they don't get together. Just the focus of the film is about these two people finding each other.
1: Like making it more of a coming of age movie. Um, more of like.
0: I don't, I don't, I just like the idea that it ends with this sort of potential that they end up in a relationship or it, it could, it ends so that it could have gone either way that they've, uh, end up in this relationship or it's just like they share this one evening together and it's in it proves to be like the wake-up call that they need to move on with their lives to find other interesting people to shack up with that he just happens to meet uh, this girl and he never sees her again i mean i would like to think we've all had this sort of experience where you meet these fascinating people and you think oh i'm going to totally see this person again and you never do even in this day and age where it's so easy to cyber stalk anyone you want um you still occasionally have these moments where you meet these fantastic people who leave this imprint on your life and then you never see them again and they become these sort of like these sort of like moments um especially as you obviously get older and perhaps and arguably wiser in your, your years you you have these sort of moments that you tend to reflect on and these people that made this impact and you do wonder if they realize the impact that they had on you but I think I think it just perhaps would have made it especially for a film that is trying so hard to be different than just another romantic comedy um, to have it about this connection these two people share because the majority of the film is just about the connection be it musically or just their current situation that these two characters are sharing and it's only when we get into the sort of ending where where they're in the studio and uh Nick's obviously getting Nora off because she's never had an orgasm and obviously as we hinted at that through Trish that no man is going to want to get with um a woman that can't possibly orgasm because it make them feel bad and especially Nick's it's going to ruin him for life because i love the fact that trish is emphasizing the fact the fact that she steamrolled it over him but the real breaking point is going to be if he gets with nora and he can't uh obviously <laughs> satisfy her should we say um yeah it, it just felt like such a wet file of a finish compared to the journey we've taken um i just but kinda... i think
1: that but you know I, i'm sorry i think that nick and nora is is really about the journey and if You were looking for the movie you're looking for. I would suggest you go watch something like Already Tomorrow in Hong Kong. That movie is about two random strangers who meet and they end up talking and feeling a connection with each other. And it's just focused on two nights of their lives where there was one night and then a few years later they actually meet up randomly, unexpectedly, again. And they feel that same connection, despite everything else in their despite each having their own partners. So do they pursue the feeling or not is the question. And that movie is really, really fun to watch. And it's also a little bit like Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist because it does a lot of like, it covers like, it's like a tourism thing for Hong Kong. You get to see a really um, background background. adventure around hong kong yeah and it's it's a very like i thought it was a really nice experience because i i do know hong kong myself so even for me it had some sort of like uh, a nice feeling to see hong kong through the eyes of other people but at the same time in under just through conversation understanding two characters like this
0: okay i mean the only other examples i can think obviously just going off the description you gave i mean we could obviously look at uh, richard link laters before sunset which obviously kind of fell apart in the the sequels which followed
1: i haven't i haven't seen any of those so i oh, don't okay. know
0: um it starts off well and then it just gets it gets very brutal by the yeah. time you hear the third film um the Cause, other because
1: there is a lot of movies that actually um do that you know like where people actually don't meet but they know each other but you know there are a lot you know that also take the path of you know um just uh meeting like finally being in a relationship like another example would be this year i saw in your eyes which is also something like that where it's two people who realize that the crazy events that they thought they were crazy that happened when they were younger was because they actually have a telepathic thing where telepathic communication, even though they're across the country from each other, and they can see through the other person's eyes what they're experiencing, and they can actually feel the touch of it of what people are experiencing, and and in the, I mean that movie is by um, Joss Whedon I, I think um, I always I always think about Joss Whedon making like a really crappy turn. So I was expecting like him to kill off one of the characters the whole time, <laughs> which it didn't happen. So that okay. was really nice.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, the only other example I could think of would be, um, would be one K was uh, in the mood for love. Um, which it, again, I would, I see it sort of like if you were to take the middle age version of Nick and Nora, that would be essentially what it <laughs> is where you've got these, these two uh sort of spouses have been obviously cheated on uh by their respective respective partners. And it's a film that I put off watching for the longest time and I I regret doing uh, doing that because it is an absolutely wonderfully sumptuous movie. Um and Wonka co- while obviously has this reputation of being an artist director so that again puts a lot of people off. But yeah, certainly I think in the Mood for Love I, I perhaps that's what I wanted with Nick and Nora I wanted the teen years of in the mood for love. <laughs> I just wanted to see those characters, but in like a more teenage and more contemporary sort of setting, um, then, um, then opposed to sort of like 1962 Hong Kong that, uh, in the mood for love gives us. Um, but yeah, I, I think for the most part, this is uh, it's an enjoyable movie. I think I just, I think I just need to edit it in my mind to, to cut that last part out. And then it, it, because the journey is so much fun to take. The fact that we're cruising around in a Yugo, which nobody owns, nobody drives a Yugo.
1: Oh my God. In fact,
0: constantly mistaken for being a taxi cab. <laughs> and I think this this is, again, the real genius of uh, of, of, of Sarah is the fact that while he constantly plays this permanent, he always seems to play the same role of just this permanently confused and. Awkward uh, sort of teenager, sort of indie kid. It perfectly plays out when you have scenes such as the couple that are mistaken for the taxi cab and they're too busy making out to listen to the fact and that he charges them extra for the cleanup. Um, I'd, I'd, I just saw those simple moments. I think it's the film's always the strongest when we're in that sort of those traveling sort of moments when we're going from place to place rather than dwelling on odd i'm in a broken up relationship my life sucks um
1: and like like the awkward moments I, i i i love movies like i love watching indie movies mostly for that right now is that indie movies will challenge the viewer and show these really um either over the top or overly exaggerated awkward moments or just awkward moments that i guess if you were in that same journey, you could expect it to happen. Like, I mean, if you were driving a Yugo, which apparently there's like three on the road or something right now, I don't know if they even exist anymore on the road. Uh, Like, you can actually picture yourself being like, okay, well that's a taxi, and people PDA all the time in the road, so you can always expect that to happen. And, you know, like, especially after a drunken night and you meet this hot girl or hot guy or something, then, you know, oh, craziness happens. You know, okay. it, it's, it's so common that we hear about, you know, these things sometimes that it's easy to picture this movie actually happening. And these are actual events that are that could happen in a journey to search for search for your favorite band.
0: As we said, uh, that's Nick Noor's uh, infinite playlist. Uh, film, which really kind of fell at the end of the golden age of the American independence scene, um, and kind of sad that we don't some movie we don't see more of these days. So, if uh, people are looking for further viewing, is there anything else that you want to sort of suggest they watch? If they like this film?
1: Well, it's like I said. I mean, um, I I feel that in your eyes and um, already tomorrow in Hong Kong are very very like underrated movies i think that they deserve to have more people watching them like i've only seen like two other bloggers and that means like one review each of these movies on the blogosphere i haven't seen anybody else review it so
0: (laughs) (laughs) so well that's certainly something worth uh, hunting down anyway so but um we're going to take a quick break though uh when we return though we're gonna be looking at our second selection this evening Um, As we look at the random world of child beauty pageants, as we take in a little Miss Sunshine. In a world where podcasts already seem to address every imaginable subject, one man broke new ground with a seemingly random obsession about exploding helicopters in movies. He was a podcaster on the edge. A Maverick broadcaster who played by his own rules. Now he has a last chance to talk about the strange way Helicopter's exploding film, exploding Helicopter, available on iTunes and Podomatic now. Think you know about chopper fireballs? Think again. And we're back. Uh, still joining me this evening is my co-host for the evening, Miss Kim Lowe hello <laughs> um, in the first off we obviously looked at Nick and Nora's infinite playlist we're now going to move on to our second selection this evening uh, which is 2006 uh, love my sunshine directed by Jonathan Dayton and Valerie, Valerie Ferris the music video Supremes um, turned feature length uh, directors the debut film Uh, After they made their career making some truly memorable music videos for the likes of Beastie Boys, Red Hot Chili Peppers, REM and most notably Tonight Tonight by the Smashing Pumpkins which we've gone to win around 6 music music awards for the MTV Video Music Awards. This film is again it's from the sort of end of the golden age of the American independence scene and it came kind of out of nowhere to suddenly became everyone's favourite film of that year. Um, The film itself sees a dysfunctional family who are basically struggling to keep it all together. We've got uh, Cheryl who's the overworked mother of two. We've got her husband Frank who's uh, sorry her brother Frank who's uh, recently Failed to commit suicide and is basically struggling to find his place after being deemed the second, uh, the number two scholar for Prowse. And basically, he's now been moved into the family home, having following his suicide attempt, as he can't be trusted to live on his own. Uh, meanwhile, Cheryl's husband is trying to carve out this career for himself as a motivational speaker and life coach with his nine steps program, which is a, like so many of the aspects of this film it's basically him spinning his wheels whereas his son is taking a vow of silence while reading Nietzsche and um, his uh, father has been thrown out of the retirement home he was in because he was snorting heroin and the, within all this chaos and confusion we have Olive who has got aspirations of being a beauty queen Uh, she's been coached by her, her grandfather of all people and She basically finds out that she's qualified for the Little Miss Sunshine pageant, which is being held in California. And the family embark on this cross-country road trip to take her to the pageant. And the only way they can get there, because they're basically broke, is to go in their yellow VW wagon. And along the way, they kind of discover more about themselves. And it's just this wonderful road trip movie with these dysfunctional characters that you can't help but just bond with even though they're just absolutely just broken people uh there's just something so enduring and charming about these people but uh kim what's your sort of opening thoughts on uh, little miss sunshine
1: i think that little miss sunshine well little miss sunshine definitely was one of those surprise hits i got it in um a double uh a double feature pack when okay. i bought juno and it was paired up with Juno. And I love both. I love that that DVD pack to death. And, I mean, it's just Little Miss Sunshine was so surprising because I I guess it wasn't all that surprising, mostly because I'm a huge, 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 huge Abigail Breslin fr- fan. Like, I love all of her kid movies. Like, when she was a kid, I, I loved so many of them. And Little Miss Sunshine is just, like, I guess in the opening, you already get this, like, really nice snapshot of this dysfunctional family because you go through one person to the next and you kind of see how they all are. And between all of this, you see Olive, who is exceptionally, like, she's so naive and so innocent. And she's just, she just has one, she doesn't, like, she doesn't know And she doesn't see like, um, despite like watching so many of these beauty pageants on TV that she aspires to be like, she doesn't see the differences between them. You know, like she's just so, she's just such a, she like embodies what a kid is. You know, she she has no prejudice. She she doesn't see the differences that she has. She thinks that with her confidence and her skills and her talents that she has. That, you know, she just has this overwhelming confidence that hasn't even been bit, beaten down yet. She doesn't question anything. Like, she questions it, but not really in a way where, you know, she's not... She's like, she believes, like, she she doesn't mind hearing all the tr- truths and learning about all this thing either, you know?
0: Yeah, she's definitely this innocent spirit. And it's along the way, she's obviously learning about the world around her. And just the way that she approaches... Things and how she she takes it all in, such as learning about her uncle's suicide attempt, um, yeah. and the fact that I, the fact that she didn't really realize he was gay, is just, just absolutely phenomenal. I mean, this is uh, Steve Corral in a serious role. Um, to this point, he'd been doing things like Full 40, uh, 40 Europe Virgin, and he'd done things like The American Office. Um, so we were kind of not sure what to make of him doing a, a more serious role, but he here he really shows once again that he can do serious acting the same way that Jim Carrey can do act serious acting. Although, for some reason, when we see Carol do a serious role, we don't feel as if we're somehow being cheated the same way that when we see Carrey do like uh, something like The Truman Show or Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, that we feel that we're waiting for him to do the wacky stuff. Here, we can take Carol just in this role as Frank. And when he's explaining... His situation, and uh, she was saying that was silly to him doing having a suicide attempt. And he's just all he can say because he doesn't want to crush this child's spirit, it's just like, Yes, it was. Yeah. Um, and I just love the fact that as the film goes, we see these characters grow. No one stays the same from when they start the journey, they all find the what they're looking for along the way, um, even though it, some characters will obviously face this crushing realization of. Of the the perhaps things aren't going to go the way that they want them to, but one of my favourite film moments of all time, I would say, is when we see Abigail Breslin doing the beauty pageant, her own little beauty yeah. pageant routine, and she's there mimicking the the winners' uh, sort of hand gestures uh, <laughs> um, in the opening. And it's just, I was like, this is just an absolutely wonderful sequence. Just how she idolises these beauty pageant contestants. Um, and just like mimics everything that they do. She just sees being a beauty pageant queen. is like all she wants to do. This is going to be, this is like her life goal is to do it. And even though she's not your traditional pageant contestant, um, from uh, obviously her background, her parents can't afford to buy the same flashy outfits uh, that the other contestants have. She's a little more portly as we see um, at the end, but she's, she's, as I said, her innocent spirit, she doesn't care. She just carries on through. She has her path and she's, she's the, uh, I would say she's the one that carries everyone else through, even though she's the youngest member of this, this clan.
1: That's the thing is I think that that's what it is, is it's, it's kind of a play on the contest she's in. If you look at it, like she is little miss sunshine in her family. Yeah. She is the sunshine that kind of guides everyone, you know, when when uh, her brother couldn't like couldn't didn't want to continue on this journey. She was the one who went down and she knew exactly what to do to kind of soften him up and comfort him and bring him back. You know, in the same way, he kind of she carries this um, this just charming personality that while everybody doesn't. You know, just kind of follows along with her beliefs, knowing that, you know, well, maybe this isn't going to work out, but still following through with it, yeah. letting her follow her dreams. Because I guess in many ways, you can see that everybody, everybody's hurdles can be projected in in a little bit of what she's trying to achieve. So, I don't know, I think I think it's really, I think it's just so nice. Like, like, I think you said it right, is that this movie isn't, has a, makes you think a lot and there is while corel is doing a rather like a pretty serious role there is a lot of dry humor in here where it kind of elevates the movie a little and and between all this it's, it's just i just really love this movie i don't i don't know i can't i don't have enough like the characters are just they're so they're developed so well like everybody like literally everybody grows and this movie isn't even like really long it's like i think an hour and a half or something yeah. or, or something like that and it, it shows just how when you take a lot of care into building characters you don't need a long movie to hash it all out you you can actually build characters with a short runtime which i find movies especially like mainstream movies are losing the path to do that because every time you go to a theater you're there for two hours at least and i find that very painful at times
0: oh yeah i feel that with, with a lot of mainstream movies it's this need to justify the ticket price that if we give you more movie then we're somehow justifying it and forgetting that the idea of cinema is it's about creating this experience and as you said this is a real sort of brief uh film i mean it's only 101 minutes so it kind of flies by um especially compared to anything more modern um and i love the fact that each of these characters has their own little interactions on the journey with and the best interactions always when a character interacts with frank mainly i find that when you've got like alan arkin um Asking Frank to uh, go and buy him pornography in the gas station, and he says like, "Oh, when you go, pick yourself up a fag rag or something." <laughs> and the fact that we've obviously got Alan Arkin's character is so because he's he's the old man, so he's now at this point where he doesn't really need to be like uh, politically correct or or care what's going on. I mean, as he openly admits that, as he's like uh, when he questioned about the fact he's been snorting heroin. He says, at my age, you're crazy if you don't. But if you, you're a young man, you're a fool. Um, and he, he like, abrasively uh, tells off um, Dwayne, uh, played by Paul Dano. He says that he gives him all these like, life lessons. He warns him off doing drugs, despite the fact he's snorting heroin. Um, and he's, he's, like, his sole advice just seems to be about in living for the moment rather than like anything that's going to help him career-wise such so as like he advised him to fuck a lot of women and the <laughs> fact that he advises to do what he's young because um you're both jailbait so obviously it's it's as best as it's going to be and the fact that he was so happy being in the time at home because obviously men die a lot uh, die a lot younger than women so there's obviously more women for him to hit on <laughs> um, <laughs> to, to him, you would think that being sent to a retirement home would be like would be like hell, but for him, it's like paradise because he's got all these women he can shack up with. He can obviously snort heroin, which obviously proves to be his downfall because you know they kind of frown on that in retirement homes. Um, <laughs> and everything was like perfect for him, and now he's kind of stuck back at home with this family, who are all going for their issues that he tries to just tries to distract him with by acting olive's coach but you can as you find out like at the end when she's doing like the questionable burlesque performance to rick uh, james's super freak that you know perhaps he probably wasn't the best person to be coaching her for to do beauty pageants so but <laughs> did you have like a favorite character
1: i don't know i i think that like um Definitely Steve Carell was one of my favorites. Mm. But I think, like, for me, it was Olive, for sure, like, hands down. Um, I thought that just... I, I'm always a, amazed at how Abigail Breslin really, like... I find that because she was a heart of the this movie. You know, while everything kind of circulated around her... Yeah. And everyone seemed to express their ugly and at one point or be better at another point or grow to be a better person. Especially like, say, um, playing as the dad was uh, Greg Kinyar. I think that's how you say his name. And like him giving her the lecture about ice cream, eating too much ice cream would make you fat. And you think that even at a, like like you never say that to a a little girl, you know? You never say it to like, what is she like, I think she's seven years old. You don't say it to a seven-years-old that, oh, eating ice cream makes you fat. You, you just let them enjoy the moment because when they grow up, these things will, like, as a child, you're not supposed to have these stereotypes. You're not supposed to be like, you know, your dad is, like, criticizing you about all these things. You know, you don't expect that's not like that isn't correct as well. And you kind of see a bit of this guy, like, from Alan Arkin, who is his father. Like in many ways, they are similar. They just don't really. They just. He just has an extra barrier. Like, and and when he says that, everybody like kind of stares at him and be and is like, why are you saying this? Like, this doesn't make sense. And Olive is just like, you see this traumatic experience. Like this traumatic look in her face. What? I'm not. I'm not. I'm gonna lose because I eat ice cream. You know. And and in the end, she's just like everybody encourages her, and then she's just like. She takes that, like, I remember that same, that exact expression that she has. And she, like, like, everybody is eating the ice cream. And then she grabs the bowl back. And then she, like, just takes a bite of the ice cream. And she's like, mmm, this is so good type of thing, you know? And it's just this innocence in her character and this charm that makes me just fall in love with, like, who she is. Yeah. And, like... And I think that that's the charm of Abigail Breslin, and I and I feel bad because she hasn't had the success being in her twenties now as she did when she was younger, and she did these roles.
0: Well, I mean, it's it's been such a career that she has had. Um, I know when she's uh, obviously from here. I mean, she went on to do things such as like *Zombieland*. Um, and it's... Nims
1: Island was also one. I think uh, I don't. I don't know if that was before or after
0: nims island was uh, yeah it was after so that was yeah like, it, was it was after was she was older yeah um but yeah it's i think this is always going to be be the be the thing when you obviously have this early success it's like how do you sort of follow it on and there's very few actresses who do i mean you look at like Obviously, people like Ford Bairds, Scott Johansson, who had that early success and were able to make the transition into uh, being adult actors. Um, But, yeah, I know know that uh, previously, I mean, a while back, uh, we were talking about recasting Taxi Driver. And I really, I was saying that if we were going to recast Taxi Driver, that the role that I would love to see her play is the role of virus, uh, which is played by Jodie Foster, the child prostitute, because I feel that she's got this maturity as a child actor that you don't normally see when you see child actors, they tend to come from that Disney school of acting where everything's overacted and it's got to overemphasize everything because that's the only way I can be seen. And look, I'm happy. I'm happy. I'm happy. I'm sad. I'm sad. And she has this maturity to her performance. Where she can interact with any of these adult casts, as we obviously see with throughout the film. I mean, this film is essentially just a series of conversations. It's kind of like a mobile version of Clerks in a way that mm-hmm. these scenes are all just different conversations that are sort of threaded together by this road trip across uh, the country to California. Um, and as you mentioned already, we've got the scene where they're talking about the ice cream. And again, that's just such another classic scene the fact that how the family choose to deal with it. Um, yeah. how they explain what a la mode is, and that <laughs> that Frank takes his very academic sort of stance to it, <laughs> which you can see, um, Greg Kinnear's character kind of Richie's but he's kinda of been put out of joint by the fact that he feels he's been talked down to. Um, and the fact that he, he emphasises a la mode. <laughs> <Really> <laughs> episode, he plays around with the words and it, it you can just like, there's so many moments They're like these little snapshots you can just take, take away from like when you've got Olive and um, Olive and her grandfather just practicing the raw face in the hotel room or mm-hmm. um, where Frank's talking to Dwayne on the pier and he's explain he's comparing Proust's life to essentially Duane's, and the fact that when he emphasizes says with Proust that when Prowse came to the end of his life in he looked back and he realized that all the shitty moments Were the moments he had growth, all the moments he was happy were worthless. Um, And that how he can obviously relate that to his own life and sort of move forward from there, really.
1: But it's a reflection. I think that that final statement and what makes Carell really good in this as well and and make his role really meaningful is that, you know, he is the person that has the most growth because most, most growth, because he actually has to, you know, He went from attempting suicide and really losing his job, losing everything. And he's pulling himself and now he's flipping the thing around and he's being positive about the situation because it's, it's weird because now he realizes that what he's been learning and he's been studying this man that he, that he's like, you know, that pretty much his life is based around exploring this, this person's life is the one thing he misses like that he missed when he attempted suicide was that, you know, the shitty things is what makes you grow. And that is exactly what everybody on this trip has learned yeah. is that everybody grew because of all of the, all of the things that happened, you know, whether it was, you know, losing a contract and going back to zero, starting up from the bottom or, or just, you know, the fact that, you know, realizing that hitting a dead end for for Dwayne was a reason for him to, you know, maybe experiment the wor- experience the world around him a little bit more. Just, like, these little, little things. And I think that that was, like, the best way to cap up the movie because then they go in and then we get into the pageant scene, which was also... I think when I first saw this, that was the first moment where I just cracked up and, you know started laughing uncontrollably because it was it was the most ridiculous thing but yet it showed the journey that this family had taken while they were dysfunctional and they probably will always be dysfunctional you thought you see it along the journey even if they don't that there's this teamwork that's growing that they've become really growing as a family that they're still they're actually really tight knit. They really care about each other, even if they don't show it, and they really understand each other and support. And they're really supportive, regardless of what ridiculous things you want to achieve.
0: Oh yeah, the the pageant scene in itself is just absolutely insane. When you see <laughs> when you see these, oh the, these over sexualized infants and it's sort of like this is this is seven and it's worse still because these things actually go on yeah um,
1: and, and then i think the best part was really like when they all got on stage where they were trying to get Olive of off the stage when the pageant was trying to get <laughs> Olive of off the stage so they're just running around and you can see like that face and on top of that like the scene before that was really like a transition of character because they went from like you know the dad was always like, "Oh my god, you have to win this, if not we shouldn't be here." And then he's the one who goes in the back and he's like, "No, no, she shouldn't be doing this. She shouldn't be doing this." You know, it's like all of a sudden he's got some sense in him that kind of grew out of what he's experienced. And he does and for once he's acting like a a good supportive father, like a caring father, which we yeah. haven't really seen throughout the whole thing.
0: I know and it's it's sort of this this final moment, this moment we've all been built, we've been building up for the whole film is what brings the whole family together. And it basically falls on, on Olive, whether she wants to go for it or not. And the fact that she knows she's different than these other girls, the fact, I mean, she's there, she's got the oversized glasses. I mean, she's not got the, the same sort of uh, glamorous outfits that these other kids have. And, and she's, She's just herself. She's just her charming self. And she still wants to go out there and do this performance, this dance that she's uh, been practicing with her with her grandfather. And I love the fact when she comes out, she like, does the little introduction and says, this is a song I did with my grandfather. And they're all like, oh, this is really cute. And then she obviously goes into the uh, super freak number. And <laughs> just <laughs> the, the horrified looks. And you compare it to what has come before it and what we've obviously seen with these other girls. And it's all sort of like, this is the breaking point for you people. Um, <laughs> it, it just always like threw me out. I mean, it's it it it, uh, it confused me slightly. That and the the guy who's sitting in the audience, who's the only guy who stands up and cheers. I mean, what was he doing there? <laughs> was he a parent? Was he a paedophile? I mean, what was he? His role I... there.
1: I think that he was a father because he doesn't answer it. So he's like, he's like, is it your first time here? And then he's just, he just kind of laughs it off. I guess he has a kid in there. Right. But he's just pretending to not care. Like he's just kind of, he has an obligation to be there, but he doesn't really want to be there because he sees what everybody else is seeing. You know, he sees what this dysfunctional family sees in the audience where it's not natural for young kids to be, Looking like Barbie dolls, they literally yeah. all look like multicultural Barbie dolls. And it was and then you know you see just Olive with her flat hair, and then she well, I think she put on like contacts. I don't, th- I don't think she had her glasses on, but she, you know, you can see that she had like she has a little like belly, and then it's like you know it's a young, it's like a young a young girl that you'd imagine um, playing in a backyard, yeah. and. And she's just, like, a breath of fresh air in the stage where you're just kind of, like, she's... You know, it is... I think it's, like, when you say this, like, like you know, it, it's like a social commentary that that people, like, that the directors are trying to put out about just what this world is and, like, the emphasis of just how innocent Olive is and that, you know, the, the choice that she makes to go through was... Was really one that she wanted to do because she wanted to because this was the goal, and she felt like if I did this, even if I failed, even if I failed, at least I did my best. Yeah. Even if I'm different.
0: I know what you mean, and uh, it's also uh, I mean the the other scene that we got here, which is uh, really great, is the fact that when she meets um, meets the beauty pageant contestant, her her idol. And uh, she, the she asks her if she eats ice cream. I just thought, oh, that's so adorable. <laughs> um, and and she's so excited when she goes back tomorrow. It's like it's like Miss California eats ice cream. <laughs> so, <laughs> and it's like and though she's like won this uh, won against her father because her father's obviously told her that they don't eat ice cream. Uh, these beauty pageant models, but oh no, here's a actual beauty pageant queen who does eat uh, who does eat ice cream. So it's a film that can be be shocking uh with some of its dialogue and kind of charming all at the same time and it's 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 such a this is like such a prozac it's it's just you cannot feel bad watching this movie uh even though it starts off pretty grim uh which seems to be like a recurring theme with uh with anytime tony Colette is attached to a comedy it's always going to be pretty grim from like muriel's wedding onwards uh you know you're going to kind of go for the ring and then when they're sitting around eating fried chicken at the start, it's like, oh my God, is this going to be like really bleak all the way through? Or, But it does, uh, it does frankly get a little lighter. So yeah. But, um, yeah. Was there anything else that you like about this film?
1: I like everything about this film. I, I like, I don't watch it frequently, but when I do, I, I just get caught up in watching it so much. It's, it, I think we've covered a lot of it. I mean, just all the characters are so charming. I think, one of the biggest things was that this was the first movie I watched of Paul Dano where I actually liked it. Like I okay. actually like. While he's not my favorite character, he does capture the role of Dwayne really, really well. You know, in 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 a, in a you know in an odd odd way. But everybody is odd in this movie, so I think that's I think that that's already a big thing. Is like changing these people into just. You know, you really believe these roles. You really believe this this dysfunctional family and their growth, and you can really connect with them.
0: Yeah, and obviously Paul Daniel would go on to star in their next film, uh, Ruby Sparks, which, as we were talking about before we came on, is another fantastic film, and it's in many ways it's got a similar sort of tone to this film, even though it's obviously completely different. Um, But, no, this is the... This this directing pair of uh, the husband and wife team with Jonathan Day- Dayton and Valerie Ferris, I wish they would direct more. They're frustratingly one of these directors who just aren't working enough for me. And the, the <laughs> every, they go, they sort of release a film every, I don't know, every few years, and then they sort of like disappear to to wherever. But I mean, obviously they've got a new film coming out, *Battle of the Sexes*, which is due out in the new year. So it'd be interesting to obviously see where that goes but in the meantime they've just sort of been uh, doing a bit of TV and uh, that's about it, they sort of teased us we had this one obviously come out in 2006 we had to wait to 2012 for Ruby Sparks and now 2017 to finally get the third film uh, from them but uh, I'm certainly excited to see where they go um, I mean for yourself, I mean if you like this one, Kim, I mean what would you recommend pairing it with I mean you obviously mentioned Juno already
1: well, Juno is very indie and def- definitely. Um, I mean, it's it's an experience for sure. I, re- I like Juno a lot. Um, I can't really figure out what movie would be good to pair with this one. It might be something equally dysfunctional, but I I don't know right now. I can't can't think of a title. I, I watch a lot of dysfunctional families. <laughs> I don't know.
0: I mean. For myself i mean i can only recommend ruby sparks uh which they obviously directed the other film that will come to mind would be sunshine cleaning about the two sisters who become crime scene cleaners i felt that the the both films that show a very similar tone uh even though they're obviously complete polar opposites in their their themes uh to each mm-hmm. other one obviously being yeah. about child beauty pageants and other being about crime scene cleaning but Um, certainly if you do enjoy a little bit of sunshine then uh, sunshine cleaning is definitely worth worth checking out Um, but yeah that uh, brings us to the end of another edition of my Bad downright Strange Showcase I'd like to thank uh, my co-host this evening Kim for joining me
1: yeah thank you so much for having me on
0: and obviously if people uh, want to hear us more we are obviously going to be off doing Game Warp which people can find via Facebook and uh, Podomatic as well as YouTube, which is brave new world for myself to be doing stuff on YouTube. And it's really thanks to Kim that uh, we get that stuff up there because uh, she handles all the video stuff and makes it look really good.
1: <laughs> Thank you. I don't know. It's always, uh, I always get a little worried about how I do on there. But um, if you want to find me, I mean, uh, my blog is uh, kling.wordpress.com. Uh, Also called Tranquil Dreams. (laughs) I do have some stuff that goes up on my YouTube, which is linked to it. It's the same thing as Tranquil Dreams. Uh, It's probably a little harder to find. You might be able to find it through my blog. Um, If not, that's like you can check me out on Twitter. It's Tranquil Dreams, but instead of the E, you have to put in a three because someone used the name before. Um, but that's that's all about it. I'm not on a lot of platforms. Um, I like to try to keep things simple. Um, well, if you do like gaming, then you can always hit me up on Twitch, which I do streams sometimes. And it's also twitch.tv slash Tranquil Dreams.
0: So, building the empire there, Kim, with your various <laughs> projects. And you're also doing NaNoWriMo at the moment as well. NaNoWriMo? Yeah, you're somehow finding the time to write a novel in a month
1: yeah well you know deal is i i've written a few of these already i've participated i think this is my sixth year and if i win this one it'll be my fifth win my first year i didn't i didn't win i i was absolutely horrible i i kind of like i didn't give up but i the first novel was so confused like halfway through i was like i hate what i'm writing i don't i don't know where this is going and i yeah. just kind of like was like oh forget it whatever yeah. You know? But I, I think I gained a lot of experience from it, and I think it's important to note, I think I'm going to talk about it, um, I'm going to have a recap on the 30th about, about um, NanoRiMo and the experience. But for me, NanoRiMo means something different because I'm not a writer. I write for a blog and whatnot, but NanoRiMo is kind of like at that point in the year where you're getting a little tired, you're kind of r- running low on motivation, the views are kind of dropping a little sometimes <laughs> on the site and we've talked about this before and NaNoWriMo is my time to prove that I still have that organization. I have that motivation and that perseverance to keep on a project and really push myself to do something and like dedicate a lot of time to it. And, and as busy as it sounds, I've actually been more organized than I've been in the whole entire year. So call it what you want but NaNoWriMo has taught me quite a bit this month and I'm I'm pretty happy about it I still have as as we're recording this I still have one more week left so uh it's gonna be a bit of a crazy thing because I fell behind about three days but, but um I'm, I'm confident I'll be able to finish it okay
0: well we'll see you all the best for that and uh obviously <laughs> when this goes out we'll probably be uh we'll probably have like another novel from yourself to uh to look through, which is exciting. So, but uh, thank you again, Kim, for obviously coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure recording you, as always. Even though it's kind of surreal to be talking about something other than video games, which is obviously our main uh, our main topic of discussion when we hang out. So, uh, but it's been a, been an absolute pleasure as always. Yes. Um, obviously, if you you want to follow the show, we're I'm on Facebook, uh, which you can find under From the Depths of DVD Hell. I'm on Twitter, which is underscore jones um it's all on there and obviously if you want to read more of my movie ramblings you can find it on from the depths of dvd Hell, which is from the depths of dvd help.blogspot.co.uk um thank you again for everyone for listening uh if you haven't done already please do leave us there a rating on iTunes or Podomatic, wherever you're choosing to listen, it all helps and uh, helps the show get a bit noticed, helps us move up those rankings. So uh, let us know what you think. It's all uh, appreciated. Whether you think we suck or whether you like listens to the show, uh, let us know what you think. Uh, but until next time, this is El Jones signing off for another edition of the My Bad not Strange Showcase. Remind you, as always, to keep it strange.